This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Matt Goldman. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. Today we talked with Ian Crosby, founder and CEO of Bench. This was really great. Uh, I'm excited to hear your guys' thoughts on it. Yeah, it, it was interesting to hear how they started from a very manual process. You know, he literally did uh, bookkeeping in college. Um, and he did their initial bookkeeping for their initial customers, and they've scaled it all the way up to 180 employees. Um, what'd you think, Matt? Yeah, and as the team's grown across different departments, he talks a lot about how you manage culture uh, between the product-focused people and the people who are actually doing the bookkeeping on the service side, and also folks like salespeople, because everyone 
brings a unique background to the picture and keeping everyone unified and working towards the same goals is really important. So let's get into it. Rocketship is proudly supported by Wistia is a video hosting platform built specifically for business. If you're using video as a part of your marketing strategy, you need to be able to measure its impact. Wistia is helping over 175,000 businesses do just that with premium video hosting, lead generation tools, and in-depth video analytics. For more about Wistia, visit wistia.com forward slash rocketship. Cool. Well, so welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Um, tell us kind of, for those that don't know, um, tell us kind of the background of Bench. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, Bench basically just takes care of your bookkeeping for you. If you're a small business, um, you know, we take in all your data, all the things that we need to do your books. So your bank statements, you know, your payroll data, et cetera. Uh, and then we just every month give you a nice, clean balance sheet and income statement. So, you know, basically the sensible basics that, um, every small business needs. Um, and then, you know, we offer it at a price. Uh, that we, you know, try to make super, super competitive. Um, so, you know, people come in, um, if they're not sure they want to buy, we give them a free month. Basically we'll do, you know, if it's October right now, we would do your September P&L for free just to see, you know, if those are the basics you want. Uh, and then basically just charge a flat monthly fee. So fat, flat monthly fees. So people know exactly what to expect. So where did you, like, where did you get started on this? Were, were you an accountant? Were you doing books? Kind of where did your interest come? Yeah, I mean, a lifetime ago, uh, okay. I was uh, I was a bookkeeper in college, so that's how I paid for my tuition, um, which is actually sort of the, a common profile of a lot of bookkeepers. It's, it's you know it's something they do temporarily um, to sort of you know make some income during school, and then they quit and go um, do other things after they graduate. Um, so that that's sort of like that's I guess where you could say like the kernel of the idea, or, or really deeply understanding like, hey, there's an opportunity here, um, because like, hold on a second. I'm an 18 year old with no experience. Why are you hiring me? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, interesting. <laughs> Maybe I could do something better than what sort of, you know, an average 19 year old with no experience can do. Mm. Uh, if, if I really put my mind to it and put a few years of work into it. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that I'll actually coalesce later. That was just sort of like one data point. Um, but it was sort of like, you know, years down the road after talking to people and talking to people and trying to sell them other stuff, you know, this light bulb went off of like, why am I trying to sell people better software? Like they don't care. Right. <laughs> right. It was just like, yeah, that's great. Yeah. I totally buy your software, but I don't have a bookkeeper. So, you know, I'm trying to solve that first and all my books are a mess. And like, you know, maybe if I had a great financial system, someday I'll have that. But, you know, I, I don't even, you know, have this thing. And then, you know, I was, I was approaching the problem, you know, as I was just trying to, okay, I want to start a business. Like, what are we going to do and in interviewing people? And like, oh, darn. They're not really open to new software solutions. I guess I should go talk to someone else to see someone who's more open, right? Versus they're like, man, he just told you exactly what he wanted. Right. <laughs> and it's you can solve, right? But if for some reason, it's like, for some reason, the biggest opportunities we're completely blind to. Like, because it's like, um, you know, or requires a completely different way of thinking. Like, well, I can't really solve bookkeeping and with, with just software. It's this big problem. And I don't want to have like, you know, this unscalable service business and all those things. But, you know, over time realized like, well, what if I could scale it? What if I could make it in a way that didn't require sort of like super specialized labor um, and in a way that, you know, could scale and, um, you know, we weren't at the mercy of all these forces of like, oh, I don't want to get into the bookkeeping business. What if we could actually make those disappear and then we could actually solve people's problem? 
Um, so it wasn't until that came together that we realized, oh, bench, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> so how um, so how did you get started? Like, were you doing the books? Did you kind of uh, start, like, I guess, compiling a, a team of bookkeepers to do it at first? What was uh, kind so of the first step? It started out, you know, so I, um, after I graduated from my, and quit my bookkeeping job, went to work, you know, uh, in management consulting for two years. Um, and then after I quit that job, cause I said, well, that's not really helping me get closer to starting a small business or, mm. you know, I want to, I want to run a business and I've kind of learned everything I can here. So I want to, I want to go try something. And I basically just, um, first off, I just started interviewing people about, you know, the pain points they had in their finances and in bookkeeping and what kind of different software solutions I could build. Um, cause I was seeing, you know, a lot of people building software and see like there's opportunities there. Um, and then got very much, you know, very quickly into, um, interesting. Okay. So we're going to actually solve their bookkeeping for them. So I'm just going to actually do their bookkeeping and see what it's like. Okay. Um, right. And, and, uh, like I done for one or two businesses before. Um, but how could I actually approach this in a scalable way? Well, let me actually get deep into the process and start analyzing it. And that means doing it yourself. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> So you were doing it and then, um, how does it work today? So, so we can kind of see where it came. Cause I understand there's actually people doing the books behind the scenes, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, um, it's laid out in just a very simple, clean process behind the scenes. So, um, if you think about, um, we think about bookkeeping in terms of mass production here because, you know, the philosophy behind it now, you know, it's not like we had this figured out on day one. Mm-hmm. Right, like many years down the line of like how the problem will actually get solved is, um, you know, previously, um, like in other industries, like car manufacturing, for example, if you looked at car manufacturing before the assembly line, um, it was a skill, you know, a team of skilled, very expensive artisans, and that would you know make the whole car, and as a result, the car was very expensive because yeah. there was a lot of efficiency, and you had these like super expensive people, um, and like they were the makers of the car, and they have all this bespoke knowledge that is like mystical, right? <laughs> um, and uh, and you know, and it's the same thing, you know, in, in anything that's mass produced, like shirts, you can go get a, a custom tailored shirt from a skilled artisan, still, right? It's just yep. super expensive. That's yep. why we don't do it. Um, and we're like, well, why isn't there a mass production and bookkeeping? Like it's kind of stayed in that state of you can only get a skilled artisan to do it. But what if I just want the simple, sensible basics and I don't have money to buy like something super expensive. Um, and you know, especially with something that's non-optional, right? Um, like, okay, even if I have to like, if I, even if my only option is to buy an expensive shirt, maybe I'll just buy two and just like stink all the time. Right. Like at least I have an option, <laughs> but, um, with bookkeeping, it's kind of like you just you don't have an option to not do it, right. um, and 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 so people end up spending a lot of money. And it's like it's shocking how much you know a business that makes like twenty thousand in revenue, paying like four thousand dollars a year on bookkeeping. It's like twenty percent of your cost base on this thing because wow. it's not optional, right? Yeah. Um, so the philosophy is: well, how do you actually mass produce it in a way that's high quality? Um, and you know, we solved it in a lot of the ways that other mass produced sort of products did, which is. Um, first off, you provide pre-selectable options. Um, so it's not customized. It's just there's a whole bunch of options you can choose from that will pretty much get you 99% of what you need, right? Like maybe, you know, not every single thing is going to be customized for you. But if you just want, like, I just want the simple sensible basics, then like just choose for some pre-selected options. That will completely determine what the process is. There's no human judgment in, okay, we're going to do it this way. We're going to do it that way. Like, like the big cost 
in custom work is you have to decide what the process is going to be on every single different job. Um, whereas for us, it's okay. You know, if so, for example, to make it a little more concrete, you know, if you walk into a car dealership and you say, I want a red car and it's going to have a leather interior and it's going to have this stereo system, right? And you choose select options and it goes off to the factory. Uh, and then the factory goes, okay, great. We know exactly the process that goes into making, you know, we know we just have to change the painting step in the factory and, you know, we're going to select red paint and we're going to, you know, at the interior stage, we're going to select the leather interior. But there's like, you know, you can only select from three options, right? It's like cloth, leather, and, you know, maybe one other thing. And then just depending on what you've selected, there's a predefined, super efficient process for handling it that way. Mm. Um, and, you know, so if you would actually map that to what we do, um, it's like, okay, so um, you have Chase Bank, um, you use Stripe to collect revenue, you know, you use Shopify, you use Zen Payroll, Gusto now. Um, okay, so based on that, we know exactly what your process is going to be. It's going to run through our Stripe process, it's going to run through our Gusto process, it's going to run through our Chase Bank process. Um, and then, you know, this this checklist is automatically created because we we know what you're using. Um, and we know what kind of business you are. You know, okay, I've selected, you know, I'm a I'm an online retailer or I'm a, you know, this. Um, and uh, and then we'll basically produce the simple, sensible basics for you. Um, and we also, you know, at the end step, we do pair that with um, basically a, you know, we call them a bookkeeper. They're kind of like a relationship manager slash like a project manager that makes sure that, you know, they're making sure the quality checklist was carried out. They're making sure that you're happy. They're going to have a personal relationship with you. Like once that process is super optimized, there's a whole bunch of money left over to like spend on quality and relationships and stuff. Right. Yep. But, um, you know, there's no need to like reinvent every time you're going to start. Oh, how are we going to do it? Okay. Maybe we'll do it this way. Maybe we'll do it that way. And like build something from scratch. Basically we just have, there's one standardized process if you use Stripe, it goes through our standard Stripe process. And then, you know, down the line, um, you know, as we spend more and more money on the Stripe process, we go, okay, well, how much money is going to cost us to pay engineers to reduce the cost of that process by 50%, right? We're just constantly evaluating um, how much would that would cost. And great. It's, it's very much like um, just managing um, a very sort of like controllable, predictable business um, yeah. at that point. No, that's interesting. Um, and so, is the team is, are like the bookkeepers are? Is it distributed? Is it is it kind of like? I mean, is it crowdsourced or? Um, it's actually all in house. It so, is okay. Um, you know, in the same way that you know, like Tesla manufacturing cars. Like when you're when you're running like this very sort of like you want to have high quality and you want this this process has to be followed to a T. Um, you can't have a whole bunch of people kind of doing whatever they do and, and making it up on the fly, right? Like you, like Tesla has very highly trained specialists in each area um, that are going to make sure that your Tesla Model S is made to you know within um, you know one micron of, of uh, uh, precision, right? And the same right. thing like you know Apple phones, right? Um, so you know crowdsourcing definitely has its place in a lot of different industries, but if you have like a very precise process that needs to be followed that needs to link into all these other steps, because you know there might be like sixty steps involved in producing your bookkeeping, like it's quite detailed okay. and quite complex. Yeah. It's just that um, if everyone does their step exactly the right way, um, exactly um, the same way, and we're like measuring it to make sure it's carried out correctly, because you know we have one hundred and eighty employees now, right? Um, um, that's um, that's how you get get quality, and that's the only way. You know, we we can't sell ninety five percent correct bookkeeping, right? People come in, they need one hundred percent correct bookkeeping. Right. Like if the numbers are off, 
you know, I mean, in a, in sort of a crowdsource or a marketplace situation, you know, your response to quality is, oh, well, too bad. I guess you selected the wrong bookkeeper. Go find another one, right? Yep. <laughs> Whereas we want to attach our brand to, no, we're going to get it right for you every time. You can trust us. Like, we actually want to build a brand around, this is just the default. Like, you should do it because you know it's going to be good. You know it's a great price. Uh, and you know you're going to be happy at the end of the day, which, you know, in a marketplace, you don't really know. Like, marketplace is great for, like, oh, I'm going to hunt something and I find an opportunity. But the work is on you to make sure that you're getting the thing that you want. Um, Whereas for us, it's sort of like you don't want to think about how the bookkeeping is going to get done, yeah, you <laughs> right? Really like that's don't. not really it's not really an exciting process for you selecting a bookkeeper, right? Right. Selecting shoes, awesome, <laughs> awesome marketplace, uh, you know, business. Um, selecting bookkeeper, not so much like the process that people want to go through. <laughs> right. So, is Bench meant for you know startups and freelancers, or can it really scale up to any size company? We specialize in businesses with less than $2 million in revenue. Um, so when you start getting big, um, I mean, that's when people start wanting very customized stuff. Um, and, you know, they have the resources to pay for it, right? Like, they don't blink an eye at, oh, I'll pay $300,000 a year for a finance department to figure out all of the, you know, niggly details. Um, whereas, you know, a small business, again, so the big businesses, they don't want the simple, sensible basics. They want complex... Um, expensive, non-basics. <laughs> um, so that's why we've actually decided, you know, very, um, very concretely, you know, if someone comes in, they're too big, we say, sorry, we can't really serve you. You know, this isn't going to be what you want. Um, and, you know, we'll point them in a different direction. So as kind of a hybrid product and service, what does the breakdown look like of your team? Like how many people are working on the bookkeeping for your clients daily versus working on the product and the marketing and the branding of Bench? Uh, it's about half and half, um, sort of in uh, just at a high level. Um, it's, uh, you know, the, um, how do I explain it? Um, the number of people we have is just, completely defined by the number of customers we have. Um, so, you know, we know, okay, if I have 200 customers, how many, you know, people I'm going to have to staff on the process side? Because again, we know the process to different tolerances, et cetera. We know exactly how many people, how much work it's going to take. Um, and then on the other side, on the, on the product side, that's actually more of um, uh, a decision. It, it's not so straightforward. You know, you have to decide, okay, well, how fast are we going to move? What do we want to accomplish this year? How much capital are we going to raise? How much are we going to spend on improving our solution? How fast? So, you know, there's nothing saying that it would have to be split half and half, right? We could, um, if we didn't want to move as fast on product or on, you know, um, rolling new stuff out, we could definitely have half the number of product and marketing people. Um, or if we want to go more aggressively, we could have twice as many and the ratio would be different, right? Um, but it's sort of, you know, the one side is determined by sort of what we have to do based on the customer base and, and you know, who's coming in the door. And then the other side is completely based on, oh, and, and how fast and aggressive are we going to move on, on building stuff. So is there much of a divide between the team, like in terms of, uh, I guess, how, how well they get along or communicate from the service to the product side? Um, it, how do you reconcile like what's happening with customers on a daily basis and translate that over to the product people? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really important. Uh, we believe, again, I don't want to speak for all businesses, um, but we believe it's really important to keep one culture. Um, and, uh, you know, our culture is really based around um, 
producing awesome experiences for the customer. Um, and you know, we put that, you know, whenever we have a list of priorities, it's like, okay, number one is, did the customer have an awesome experience? Cause if not, why are we even here? Right. Like we're not, we're not, um, just trying to, you know, send a product out the door or, or like, you know, just make a good margin or whatever. It's kind of like, well, we could be doing a lot of businesses where we're making a margin or we could be making, doing a lot of businesses where, um, you know, we could be, be building software. There's infinite software to be built, right? Um, it's really about like, are we actually solving people's problem? Are we actually making a difference? Because um, there are a lot of people here who are really frustrated before. So that, that's, that's really the, the unifying factor. But different people are accomplishing that in different ways. Um, and, you know, every department has to appreciate what the other departments bring to the table. And they definitely, definitely have sort of different perspectives and different ways of looking at the problem. So, you know, operations, um, which is, you know, the, the bookkeepers and uh, the process people, um, definitely their focus is, um, okay, how did the process go today? Did anything break? Is there anything we have to fix? And it's very much like, there isn't a single day where we can be like, you know, I'm just going to relax today and like, let's just relax on process, see what happens. You know, I'm going to go through like, you know, a thought mapping exercise. It's like, no, there's stuff coming through the door. People need stuff today. Um, and, and we need to make sure that our processes are running to a T every single moment. Um, and so, you know, then they'll get into a room with product people um, or, you know, sort of engineers who are thinking, okay, well, how do we need to build this so that's going to scale for the next, you know, two or three years? Um, or, I mean, everyone just brings a different perspective to the table um, and everyone needs to appreciate everyone else's perspective because they all need to happen, right? It's not like you can just say, you know what, what's really important is just, you know, the long-term, you know, engineering roadmap and whatever happens today, meh, like, it kind of works, I guess, when you don't have customers yet. Um, but, uh, you know, once you actually have a customer base, like the whole reason that, um, I mean, for every month between 40, 50% of our new customers actually come from word of mouth. And the reason is that there's a lot of people who have had a great experience. And, you know, the minute that stops happening and, you know, um, the operations people sort of let up, people stop having great experience. But then you have, you know, marketing and design who are thinking about, okay, but what's the experience going to be tomorrow? Obviously, they have no power to impact what's going on today because it takes time to build stuff. So they can't be today focused. They have to be, well, what do we want the brand to be six months from now? What do we want the design to be six months from now? Um, so, I don't know, is that a, a sufficiently long-winded uh, answer to your question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's always complex and really kind of what I was getting at and what I was curious about was um, bringing together a service team and a product team under yeah. one, under one, you know, team umbrella really. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess the challenge is, um, I think at some software companies, um, they get away with just kind of hiring like litmus test is, Oh, this person is like me. That means they're a fit. Um, and you know, for us, we had to hire different types of people sort of right off the bat. Um, like, and at the beginning, you know, there was actually a little friction around, um, like the early product people, it was all product people. We had, we started with zero salespeople, <laughs> right? It was, uh, and then we went to, um, I was like, start off, I'm doing all the bookkeeping and closing all the customers. And then we had people building product and then hired a couple of bookkeepers. And, and then they really were bookkeepers. They weren't sort of people we call bookkeepers that are actually sort of like doing just like a fraction of what a normal bookkeeper does. Cause so much of it has happened through like, happening through the process automation. Like they were actual, like start to back handling every process. Um, 
And then, and then they were onboarding customers and doing sales because that's all we had, right? <laughs> so they kind of had to be bookkeeper slash salesperson. Someone come, you know, calls in, pick up the phone. Okay, Luke, you're on. There's no one else, right? Um, but then getting to a point where, okay, now we have six bookkeepers and we hire a first salesperson. And that first salesperson was very different from everyone who came before. And, you know, I think it, um, it was hard at the beginning for the product people to be like, this person's different from us. They don't fit the culture. And it's like, yeah, but, we need people who are going to be focused on day-to-day closing, you know, new accounts and actually onboarding people and caring about how that process is going. And yeah, they're not going to be super forward-thinking focused, but you know, we're defining a new culture of how we're going to work together and it's going to have to be include more diversity and not um not just like hey, let's just carbon copy ourselves and 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 fire people that look exactly like we do. Um you know, it ends up being okay, how can I work work with someone who thinks differently, but we really both have the same end goal in mind. And Hey, maybe we still like the same TV shows or, you know, whatever it is that, you know, you're going to select as like the unifying factor (laughs) across your culture, right? Like, okay. Like there have to be some unifying factors. You have to have some things in common, but they don't necessarily have to be the same things like exact every, everything in common with the founders. Right. Um, it's, you know, you have to kind of select because, you know, the more people you hire, the less they're going to be like you. So you have to figure out what's really important. Um, and, and what's just sort of like, you know what? It's cool that all the people are different in all these different ways uh, and sort of embracing diversity a little more because you don't really have the option. There aren't that many people exactly like you that you can um, hire eventually once you start getting to scale. Right, that fill all those different roles too. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's like, nearly I, impossible. Like, exactly, I wouldn't be that happy in a sales job, <laughs> right. right? So like, how do I hire only myself and then build a great sales organization? Like I'm probably going to need to bring some different people to the table with yeah. different priorities. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'm curious, like, so, so with that, as you guys are growing, um, you know, bookkeeping isn't necessarily the sexiest, um, you know, topic to talk about. Um, or maybe it is in, in some circles, but, um, <laughs> how did you guys I approach very interested in what those circles are? Yeah, <laughs> probably, right? Still looking. Um, how did you guys approach kind of going to, to the market and getting out in front of people, um, to tell them about Bench? Yeah, I mean, um, so I will actually um, um, address both aspects of the question, which is, uh, first off, you know, the bookie isn't sexy. How did you get through that? Because that, that's not so much, you know, there are people who have a pain point and they don't care if it's sexy or not. They just right. need it solved, True. right? But customers are not the only people you need to bring into the business. You need to bring in, um, definitely need to bring in employees. And depending on the type of business you're running, you may need to bring in investors. Mm. Um, and yeah, if you have sort of decidedly unsexy space where, you know, investors and employees aren't going, I'm going to go work in the bookkeeping industry. Right. Um, but that's sort of like the reason people might think about an industry or a space, a certain way that's particularly unsexy is because that's just the way that it was done before. Mm. Like people don't, don't think about bench and go like, oh, that's a really unsexy company. Ew, bookkeeping, right? They're yeah. like, wow, that's kind of cool. But wait, bookkeeping? How does that work? <laughs> like, I don't understand how I'm feeling. This new feeling about that space now. Like, it's but it's because like, I mean, it's just because that's the company and that those were the service providers that were there before, and that's what you're thinking of. Um, so if you look at anything like um, like the payment space, right? The payment space 15 years ago, no one was going, oh yeah, payments, like. 
ABC payments, so sexy. Oh, let's all work in the payment sector, right? Um, and then along comes Stripe, Square, and a few awesome companies, and all of a sudden payments is hot. But not because payments is just an inherently hot space, but because of the really cool things that people are doing in that space. So I would actually argue, you know, if there's nothing going on in that space, that's actually an opportunity for you to become that company. And like, it takes years, and it's you know a big challenge. You don't get to work in a hot space right away. But eventually you become the category definer and people are like, oh man, like what an awesome space. I, 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 I bet like five or 10 years from now, and we'll probably have a few competitors that by that point, people are going to be like, oh man, they're like, and, the, and it'll be called something different, right? It won't be called bookkeeping. It'll be called like financial something, right? I don't even know what the, right. what the, what the buzzword is going to be. There's going to be some buzzword for it. And they're going to be like, oh, that buzzword thing, what a hot space. But, you know, that's, that's how things change, right? Um, yeah. Like with any sort of um, new product or, or anywhere that's sort of worth changing, it's because it's kind of crappy right now and it's not that interesting. <laughs> right. Fair enough. I love that perspective. I've never heard that before. But it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, and then, um, yeah, the other, uh, the other piece of it... Um, Sorry, actually, I forgot the original so question. How did you kind of go go to market? Like, how did you go out and and position Bench and find those initial customers, or even today? Like, what channels are working for you guys? Yeah, I mean, so the customers was was the easier one to figure out because you know after we'd figured out, oh man, all these people had these pay points, like we could just walk in, and you know, like it took some time to figure out exactly like the finesse of the pitch, but you know, we'd just be talking about it, and people were like, oh man, I need that. Right, like it didn't. It was actually intuitive. We're just like, oh, here's what we solve. Mm-hmm. We give you financial statements every month, and it costs you know starting at one hundred thirty five dollars a month. Like, wait, what? Can you say that again? Like, that's a thing. You can do that. Awesome. Like, that just solves a big pain point. Like, if you found something that really deeply solves a need, um, really is more about just um, asking them what their pain points are, and then saying, oh, I can solve that for you. Right. It's not like a hey, here's the thing we do. If you use this software in a certain way, here's all the cool things you do. Like, anyway, that wasn't our approach. Actually, I'm sure there's a lot of approaches that sort of have more to do with sort of like generating interest or generating demand in sort of an area and all the things you can produce. Um, but, you know, ours ours was just really like, oh, so tell me about like what's most frustrating. Oh, man, I have this pile of receipts. Like, I, I never want to look in that drawer. It's like the drawer of horror. Like, <laughs> I just try not to think about it. And we're like, oh, what if you didn't have to think about that anymore? What if you took, off all your, all, took all that off your plate and you just had, like, a nice, clean financial statement every month? Oh, man, that would be awesome. You could do that, right? So um, that's really, you know, that was our, our approach at the beginning. And so at the very start, it was just literally having one-on-one conversations with people. And, okay. you know, every customer was just knocking on a door. Um, and our internal goal um, because, and this was, again, this is just one approach. This is our approach, but we set sort of an arbitrary goal of 5% revenue growth per week. Um, That's and, aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not that aggressive if you have one customer. Okay. True. <laughs> 100% growth this week, right? Um, but, uh, and you know, over time, it gets harder. And we do not have a 5% growth target anymore uh, per week. Um, but uh, at the beginning, it just, it keeps you focused on, you know, what do I need to do this week? And, or, you know, and what do I need to put in place this week that'll keep me covered for next week and the week after? But at the, at the beginning, there's just so many things you can do and so many directions you can be pulled. You kind of need just like a guiding force that is going to say, okay, 
here is my goal right now. This clarifies exactly what my priorities should be. So you're not running out sort of like, well, maybe we should be looking at business development partnerships with a bank, right? And there were all these things where people were like, if you want to make a big, you should do this. And we're like, yeah, but, and, and I don't know, a lot of people said this. There's actually a surprising number of people that said this. You need to be able, sometimes you need to be able to run before you can walk. I'm like, I don't <laughs> even know that what that before. means. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, it's almost like, I don't know, I think a lot of people have this idea that you're supposed to go from zero to a hundred and it either, um, I mean, one investor put it to me, you know, in six months, we'll either, either know if you're a zero or a hero. Wow. Um, and it was like, it didn't work like that at all. It was very just like, just keep growing relentlessly 5% a week. And then it just compounds into something big eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, at first just knocking on doors was fine enough or just, you know, emailing people. And, and seeing, hey, do you have any friends that, you know, uh, run a small business that I could just buy coffee? And that was totally fine. We t- totally easy to hit 5% growth goals. Wow. Um, and then it got a little bit harder because we're working off a bigger base, right? So now, you know, 5% means more than one customer a week uh, or even a month. Right. Um, and, uh, and then you start doing things like, okay, well, how can, I, how can I do this more scalably? Like, I still have the same fixed amount of time, but I have to get more customers in that same amount of time. So what am I going to do? Okay, well, maybe that means... Um, I don't have enough, do I not have enough leads to work with? Is that why I'm not signing up new customers? Is it because I have a whole bunch of people stuck in this interest phase that I haven't been able to move forward through my funnel? Um, is it because I just don't have time because I'm only spending 5% of my time on it? Uh, and you know, the process is fine, but I'm out doing all these other things, building product and raising money. And I don't have actually time to dedicate to this. Right. And then you just sort of figure out what the constraint is, uh, and then just fix it. And like sounds, I know it sounds really simple when you put it like that, but it doesn't feel simple at the time. Right, right. <laughs> right? It's like, it's more like you're in the shower stressing about how you're going to make your goal. <laughs> and you're like, oh man, what the hell? What are, how are you going to do? And you're like, oh, wait. Oh, I can just do that. All I need to do is like find someone to help. Okay, great. And they're like, resolved. Let's go do it. Right. But it's like, if you don't have that function, you're not going to be thinking about it when you're in the shower and actually going and, and fixing it. You're going to kind of be on autopilot and then wake up three weeks later and go like, oh man, we didn't bring in any new customers. Uh oh. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Right. So uh, that's why it's super, it's super important to stay focused because there's just so many potential distractions that, and so there's an infinite number of things that do not matter that people will try to convince you that matter, <laughs> but like really don't. And um, I don't know, again, that's my perspective and maybe I, I'm just like skeptical or something, but you know, I think there's a lot of stuff like, you know, feeling like you don't know enough people or you've gone to enough conferences or, you know, have met enough, like done enough coffee meetings or whatever that's actually irrelevant to your goal. And it might not be irrelevant because there might be some goals that, that ties into, but you just need to know what you're going to accomplish and then go to do the things that are accomplished that rather than starting from what are all the possible things. Guess I'll just meander through all of them. Right. Right. So it sounds like you guys, did you guys self fund it at first and then eventually raise some money? Uh, yeah, I had a little bit of savings, um, from my previous job and, uh, and then we all obviously worked for free uh, at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but we actually got into Techstars uh, pretty early on. Um, so, um, you know, I spent sort of a year working on it, not spending that much money. Like, didn't have employees, just kind of just myself, and my co founder, and, um, you know, uh, one other guy, and then uh, Pavel. Uh, and then, uh, Things just sort of started picking up momentum, and we brought on our third co-founder uh, Adam, and uh, he's you know now our VP of design, uh, and that um, that was really a turning point because we had someone who really deeply understood the customer, 
he's a really nice, soft-spoken person, but he kicked the crap out of us with his very soft-spoken demeanor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we were not thinking about the customer enough, and our design sucked. Um, and uh, you know, within three months, we had something that looked and felt massively better. Like it's one thing to just solve the need; it's another to solve it in a way that leaves you feeling great. Um, and uh, and that was his expertise. He was uh, he's a great designer. He actually worked for the uh, the design firm that designed Slack. Um, oh wow! So, oh, um, Metal Lab, uh, yeah. Metal Lab, yeah. Um, so uh, you know he knew a lot about design that we knew nothing about. We had expertise in other areas, but he brought that to the table. And then you know within three months of meeting him, we were accepted at TechStars New York. It was kind of like the last piece, the missing piece that we didn't know. We didn't know. That's the hard thing also about the C stage is like. There's so many things you don't know, but you don't even know that you don't know them. And you're kind of wandering around going like, why am I not making progress? What am I missing? Mm. Right. And then like random things happen that you learn. And it's, it's really hard to speed up because you don't even know what the problem is. Right. Right. <laughs> so kind of just like this open ended learning sort of experience. Uh, that's really hard. Uh, so yeah. So I'm, I, I don't know. Very cool. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's awesome to see kind of such a manual process uh, turn into something huge, um, which is inspiring, I think, to oh, many. Thanks. Yeah. So, where can we hire Bench um, and keep up with you online? Uh, so, there's our website, uh, bench.co. We actually have an offer um, for uh, listeners, um, which is um, at bench.co slash rocket ship. Mm-hmm. Um, where you know anyone who signs up through that will get twenty percent off for the first six months. That is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. and you can find us, uh, you know, on Instagram at Bench Accounting, on Twitter at Bench, uh, and there's I'm on Twitter too, um, and uh, Ian W Crosby uh, on Twitter. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for taking the time. Really, uh, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And if you'd like a transcription of this show, we have now partnered with Jot Engine, who does some fantastic transcriptions. So you can go to rocketship.fm and check out this episode's show page, and there'll be a link for the transcription. And if you'd like to get a transcription yourself, go to jotengine.com and sign up. I'm sorry if I seem uninterested Or I'm not listening Or I'm indifferent Truly, I ain't got no business here But since my friends are here I just came to kick it But really, I would rather be at home all by myself Not in this room with people who don't even care about my well-being I don't dance, don't ask I don't need a boyfriend So you can't go back Enjoy your party, I'll be here Somewhere in the corner Under clouds of marijuana With this boy who's hard But I can hardly hear Over this music I don't listen to And I don't wanna get with you So tell my friends that I'll be over here Oh, here Oh, here Oh, I ask myself what am I doing With this, an antisocial pessimist, but usually I don't mess with this. And I know you mean only the best, and your intentions aren't to bother me. But honestly, I'd rather be somewhere with my people. We can kick it and just listen to some music with the
the TV with my penny low Yo, I'll be over here, oh, oh. 